And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, listeners? I am your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. You know that saying, don't meet your heroes? Well, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of my favorite artists in many mediums while doing this show, and I've been super lucky. I guess that just means I have good taste in heroes. And having Dwayne Swarzynski on this show just proves that point. For those unfamiliar with Dwayne's work, he's an incredible writer. He's my favorite author. Not only did Dwayne come up with a really challenging topic, he also challenged me with a little game that I think everybody's going to get a kick out of. So please stay tuned for our top five list topic today. And since this show aired, I have read Lush, the collection of short stories that he mentions during this episode. It came out between the time that we recorded and this airs. And uh, drink in hand, as I'm sure he intended during a vacation in Mexico, I ripped through this thing, and it is really fun. There's two short stories in here that I think would make killer adaptations, and I don't just say this because he's on this episode. I've had people on this show that have created things that I didn't love. And I'm not about shilling stuff just because I've had a guest on. In those cases, I would just not mention those things or not review those things because I do think that would be rude. But in this case, I don't have to worry about that at all. I really recommend checking Lush out. My favorite story in there is about a Christmas-related Polish death curse. It's amazing. But again, there's not a bad story in the bunch. You can get this book right now for less than 16 bucks. Use the link in the show notes, do yourself a favor, and get your read on. All right, last episode, we had the Robert Downey Jr. draft, and the listeners spoke up over on Twitter. It was almost a dead heat between Jordan and Don from the I Seen It podcast, but the Cinematics Facebook page pushed Don way over the top for the win. Drafter A gets the win. Seemed like many of the swayed votes came from the inclusion of Tropic Thunder at pick number three, so Jordan will be watching Bare Knuckles from 1977 over there as punishment, so make sure to check out the I Seen It podcast to listen to that episode. We had some huge names in entertainment pass away since I last recorded. Sinead O'Connor, Paul Rubens, and one of the most fearless and honest directors ever, in my opinion, William Friedkin, who died at the age of 87, leaving behind some of the greatest, grittiest films ever made. And I thought I'd do a quick top five Friedkin films for you, although his filmography is certainly good enough to do a draft with at some point. I just wanted to shed some light on some of my favorite Friedkin work. So at number five, I'd have Killer Joe, a grimy insurance money murder plot set in the dusty fields of Texas, which features amazing performances from Emil Hirsch, Gina Gershon, and Matthew McConaughey, and will definitely change the way that you look at fried chicken for a bit. At number four, I've got Sorcerer, a film I recently rewatched, which is about the transportation of volatile nitroglycerin through the South American jungle. And the stories about making this film will blow your mind if you look some of those up on YouTube, the interviews and stuff, man. Just a, a crazy production on that. At number three, The French Connection, a New York cop versus foreign heroin dealer film that was made as recklessly as the main character Popeye Doyle acts in the film. 
At number two, the best and certainly most effective horror film ever made, The Exorcist. Seriously, if you have not seen The Exorcist, just go check it out. What are you waiting for? There's a remake coming out that I'm sure will be inferior. The original from, what, 73? It's just, it's incredible. So go check out The Exorcist, which is my number two. And at number one, uh, more of a personal pick here, I have To Live and Die in L.A., which pits two L.A. cops against a counterfeiter in the sun-soaked streets of 80s Los Angeles. It is simply one of the grittiest, most unforgiving films I've ever seen. So, yeah, those are my five favorite Friedkin films. There's a lot I left off. Cruisin' I left off. I know The Hunted has some fans. Bug is another good one. What's your favorite William Friedkin film? I'd love to hear what your favorites are and just uh, to celebrate this man and his incredible career. Okay, since I last talked to you, I saw a bunch of movies. Um, I'm going to save some of them for later because I know some of these films are going to make my end of the year list. Barbie was fantastic. I will be talking about that at the end of the year. Talk to Me is the scariest film of the year so far. Great horror movie. Uh, Mission Impossible was exactly what I wanted it to be. I saw Oppenheimer, which was kind of... Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a movie. But I did a poll a while back and you guys said you wanted to hear me review more obscure stuff. So here's a review for the uh, more obscure film Best Friends from 1975. Pat has just touched down from a stint in Vietnam and he's done with the military life. He tosses his uniform in the trash can right outside of the airport just in time to see his girlfriend Joella, his best friend Jesse, and Jesse's fiance Kathy. But their intention is not to fly straight home from the airport. Their goal is to rent a Winnebago and just drive around seeing the country from Texas to the California coast. The plan is that this is sort of a dual honeymoon because both couples are planning on getting married soon. However, soon after setting sail on the Great American Road Trip, the three begin to realize that life on the road with Pat might be more than they bargained for. See, Pat's not ready to settle down. He's also not ready for Jesse to settle down. So he makes it his mission to try and tear apart all of the relationships inside of the RV with little jabs here and there, destroying the connections with a thousand cuts. This film was distributed by Crown International Pictures, a studio known for their B-movie output, and this feels like an odd choice for CIP, which is probably why the one sheet is so misleading for this. The cover of the film shows Pat and Jesse standing back to back, ready for a fight, with Joella standing in a sexy pose in front of them wearing only a leather vest. And in the background, we see a bunch of angry-looking Native Americans with the tagline, quote, she became the ravaged victim of a century of revenge, end quote. And then next to the title of Best Friends, it says, until they cross the wrong border. Now, about 20 minutes into the film, the four stop at a bar on an Indian reservation and a drunk Joella gets on stage and takes her top off while dancing, riling up the crowd. And one of the guys gets punched, but they basically escape with a couple of bumps and bruises. And then later that night, Pat goes back towards the bar and knocks out the Native American guy who punched Jesse. And then they leave the next day. Now, knowing nothing about this film other than what the poster told me, I figured that the rest of this movie was going to be the Native Americans tracking down the RV and terrorizing the young folk, which would fall in line with CIP's normal output in the mid-70s. But that never happens. In fact, after that short, I don't know, seven minutes, the Native Americans are never seen again. Even now, I'm not sure which border the poster is talking about, and there's sure as hell no revenge in this film. What follows is a basic road trip film where things start to fall apart because of Pat's antics inside and outside the RV, culminating in a very telegraphed tragic ending. The issue with Best Friends is that it's not that interesting, and I'm not sure what it's trying to say. 
It feels like it wants to be a typical post-Vietnam PTSD story, and it's hinted at in the beginning of the trip, where Pat is sitting there and one of the girls sees a giant scar on his right hand, and he kind of brushes it off playfully, but the somber music, faces, and music cues make us read a little more into it as audience members. However, that's really the end of the PTSD clues. Pat's further antics are probably meant to be post-war driven, but he's such an immature character that it just kind of felt like he was acting like a selfish prick because he didn't want his best friend to move on to the next stage in his life. The struggles Pat was having would have happened whether they were in the war together or just flipping burgers in a McDonald's for a couple of years. It would have been more interesting if Pat had romantic feelings for Jesse, like a hidden homosexual tension, but that wasn't the case either. And Jesse, for all of his maturity, loses the audience completely when he gives Pat too much leeway later on in the film. I think most audience members can relate to having a fuck-up friend in their group, somebody who needs a little extra attention, so we get it when Jesse gives Pat a second chance. We might even get it when he gives him a third chance, but at one point, Pat tries to rape Kathy, Jesse's fiance, and Jesse just kind of brushes it off like, whoop, that's Pat for you. Now, there are some good things about the film. I think the picture was shot well. I love the images of the mid-70s highways and small towns. The music's also really well done, featuring a folk soundtrack produced by Rick Kunha. His title song, Best Friends, is pretty catchy, and I'd have put some of the track in right here for you to listen to if I could find it. But unfortunately, searching online turns up nothing unless you want to hit eBay to purchase a 45 for a couple bucks. The picture itself was a bit lacking in color pop, but somebody on YouTube of all places provided what could be an explanation. Their comment reads, typical bad 70s color caused by the absence of silver nitrate that had become very expensive with the 70s inflation and chronic shortages of raw materials. This made all the movies and even photographs that have ugly brownish tone compared to the beautiful Kodachrome color of the 50s movies. This is a Vinegar Syndrome disc, and their description of the film reads, A tense character drama that slowly morphs into an unsettling thriller focused on repressed obsession and PTSD. Noel Nasek's Best Friends is one of the great overlooked post-Vietnam angst films. And I must disagree with that. I think this was overlooked, but for good reason. It's not interesting or dramatic enough to really bring in the drama fans, and it's not exploitative enough to interest genre fans. I can only imagine how flat this fell at the 70s drive-ins, especially with a poster that misleading. If you're looking for a real great post-nom angst film, I mean, you're not going to get better than The Deer Hunter, but Journey Through Rosebud, Coming Home, and Birdie are all pretty overlooked these days, and even films like Born on the Fourth of July and Rescue Dawn to a lesser extent. This is a tough one to recommend unless you're a big Richard Hatch fan, who was the only real name actor to come from this one. I found the movie pretty tedious, and the third act both infuriated me because of how senseless some of the characters acted and bored me to tears. The movie's only 83 minutes long, but it felt so much longer than that. I did watch all the extras on this disc, which include four interviews. There's an interview with the director Noel Nasek, who goes through his struggle to get the film made and sold, where he reveals that it was kind of written on the fly and cost around $75,000 to make. He explains that he understands why it never lit up video store shelves, but that he owes a lot to the film as it transitioned him successfully from a documentarian to a working TV journeyman director for many years. There's an interview called Movies and Travel with the cinematographer, an interview with the editor Robert Gordon, who, and that one's an odd one because he just kind of talks about his entire career instead of the film, but I actually thought that was pretty interesting. And then finally, an interview with the composer who reveals that he did the music for free. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of action in Best Friends, but there is a ton of action at today's sponsor, Action Park. There's nothing in the world like Action Park, where you're the center of the action. It's bigger and better than ever. 
Catch the action with over 50 rides, shows, and attractions at the world's largest participation park, where you and the rides become one. You're just minutes away. There's nothing in the world like Action Park. Just go to Action Park. There's no other park like it. When it's hot out, this is a great place to spend the day with your family. So lots of big things for little kids to do. I love Action Park because it's so beautiful. It's like coming to Broadway. It's wonderful. Race like a pro. It's great. These are the most amazing rides in the world. I love it here. There's nothing in the world like Action Park. Catch the action off Route 94 in Vernon, New Jersey. It's fun for the whole family, and although your whole family may not make it back in one piece, it'll probably be worth it. Tell them the Force 5 sent you when you get to the ticket counter and receive a free Force 5 mouth guard and band-aids. You're going to need them on that loop slide. Action Park where you and the rides literally become one. All right, let's talk to Dwayne Swarzynski in our top five films where two characters' names make up the title. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Tonight, my guest is my favorite author, Dwayne Swarzynski. I hope I'm saying that right. Perfect. You nailed awesome. it. You must be Polish. <laughs> In addition to writing some of my favorite fictional crime novels, he's written a few nonfiction books and has been writing for both Marvel and DC, working with characters you know and you love, like X-Men, Deadpool, Batman, Punisher, even Star Wars and Godzilla. Dwayne, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. I'm happy to be here on the podcast. This is awesome. And uh, you gave me an excuse to like deep dive into a, a subgenre of film that I was not, you know, focusing on until now. So thank you for that, that gift. And and we'll talk about why you chose that topic here in a bit because I did not expect that from you. But first, I want to talk about your work. Okay. Uh, the Wheelman was my first exposure to your work, and I stumbled across it because every year for Christmas, one of my aunts sends me a gift card to a bookstore. So every year I have an excuse to go in and check out something that I've never heard of. And I saw The Wheelman. I'm a huge fan of action movies. Same here. <laughs> yeah. And I saw, you know, it, this is just the story about this getaway driver. I think the first uh, the first log line on the back is he fall, he's fallen in with the wrong heist team on the wrong day at the wrong bank. And I was yeah. like, I got to check this out. It's it. It was like 200 pages, short read. Loved it. Like just the writing style. I ended up having to seek out everything that you were doing. Read The Blonde shortly after that. Read Severance Package wow. after that. I mean, just really great uh, kinetic books that fly by. Wow. Thank you. Jeez, I'm, I'm just blown away. I'm so happy to hear that because that's my intention to like uh, speed read. People, you know, help you experience it in the same way they experience a film. That you just can't, you know, stop turning pages. That's my goal. If you like stop turning pages and you put the book down, I've failed. <laughs> that's, not, that's not great. So, so I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it works. And there's something I love Stephen King. I love his work, but I don't want to do it for 900 pages. Like I just, <laughs> especially now, I don't have the time. So real quick, real easy reads that you, you know you've gone, you've gone a fourth of the book in one setting. You didn't even know. Ah, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. That's yeah. Again, my goal. So if I mission accomplished. I'm very happy. Mission accomplished indeed. <laughs> Were there any uh, books or movies that inspired you to start writing initially? Oh, God, yeah. In fact, The Wheelman was very much inspired by 
um, Donald Westlake's novels under his pseudonym Richard Stark, the, the famous Parker novels. You know, it's mm. all these uh, sort of lean, mean, uh, cut and dried, very hard boiled uh, heist stories, which I just thought was amazing and beautiful. You know, it's a very simple thing to do. It seems simple. It's very hard to do, as I learned. <laughs> it's <laughs> hard to, you know, all those details. It's not easy. Um, but it reads so clean and simple. It's like, man, I want to do that. Cause, and that came from my very first novel. It was like a mashup of horror and science fiction and crime. And I loved it. But no one knew where to, like, buyers, you know, publishers like, where, where do we put this in the bookstore? We have, I have no idea what this is, this, this cross-genre stuff. So uh, the next book I thought, okay, you know what? I'll make it very simple. Straightforward heist novel. The most simplest thing ever. <laughs> so that yeah. was the inspiration for that one. A lot of moving parts in that book. And, you know, it flies by, but there's so much going on. It's it's incredible. My curse in life is, like, I always have a very simple idea in mind. And it gets just complicated. Like, as, as it kind of, it's like growing a fungus. It's like, all right, this little corner here is fun. I, I can't resist chasing these, like, weird rabbit holes. Um, it's, it's my sickness, honestly. I don't know how to tell a straightforward story to save my life. So. Well, random, random question for you about writing. Yeah. I've asked this of every author that's come on here. If you had the chance to write for any property out there, movies, mm. comic books, anything you want, what would it be? I know this is kind of tough because most people lean towards like Marvel, DC, Star Wars. You've done all that. Maybe there's somebody <laughs> in those universes or, or like what would you your know, choice be? A great question. I mean, um, there's one actually book I have in mind, but I won't say it here because I don't want anyone to steal it from me. Because I think it's a great, <laughs> be a great uh, sort of, uh, you know, sort of basis for a show. But I will say I've been for years dying to do like I wait for someone to call me and say, hey, you want to write a RoboCop sequel? RoboCop is oh. my favorite film of all time. Um, it's just the perfect blend of science fiction, black comedy, um, everything. It's just that that's, I was 15 years old when I saw it. It warped my brain forever. It was like that. That to me is like the goal <laughs> to shoot for. If you hit that kind of tone of like it's gory, it's funny, it's disturbing, it's philosophical, even like you know, it's it's all this wonderful stuff that I think has been unmatched, you know, since since now. So I do have an idea in mind for a RoboCop sequel that honors the original and kind of carries straight from that. But I, I'm waiting for the call from, you know, from who was it? Um, Orion to re resurrect yeah. and call, call me up. <laughs> waiting for Orion. We might be waiting a while. Yeah. <laughs> but great question. Uh, RoboCop is one of those films that I'm a huge fan of too. That was yeah. number one on my films that scarred you as a child list. Because <laughs> yeah, I saw sure. it way too early. You saw it at 15. I saw it at like nine or 10. And, oh, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I was like the right age because it was like I was old enough to see it, but kind of not really. You know, I, I really probably needed some counseling for that movie, but it still worked. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, we're, we're going into film here. So let's talk a, a little bit about your writing and, and film. Uh, I know that Sure. So I had Severance Package on my top five books that needed film adaptations. and that's, Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. when we started talking. And that one I I read was optioned in like 2008. Doesn't seem like anything happened with it. Yeah, it was, you know, it was my first, uh, it was like my first like, Hollywood um, job. I um, The book was, uh, there was two different company studios who wanted it, which is wonderful. I was, you know, gobsmacked. And the one who would allow me to sort of write it was the one I went with. Because I thought I should, you know, give it a shot. Um, and what I ended up doing was co-writing with a director they attached, uh, Brett Simon, who's, we're still good friends. He's, he's great. Brett's awesome. And it kind of just didn't happen for a lot of reasons. I'm not, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. I mean, it takes, I mean, to me, I've learned that 
it takes a million stars to align for a, a film to be you know, greenlit and happen. Yeah. You know, so it's no one's fault. It's more just like, but it could have been so wonderful, you know. So that was my first experience with you know, Hollywood. It was Lionsgate optioned it, you know, and um, it was a good experience. Um, and it was funny. I remember sitting down at Brett's table, his kitchen table in Venice, you know, the, his house in Venice. And I was the one trying to, like, tear apart the book and rechange it all. He's like, no, no, no. This stuff is good in the book. I mean, I was like, nah, <laughs> fuck it. This guy, this, this guy sucks. Let's just tear it up, you know. And so I was very mercenary. <laughs> That's not, that, but that gives you a chance also to kind of, like, correct those things that maybe you, you wanted to get right another time. Always, always. I mean, I, I mean, forever. I'll like, I'll have a, you know, either if I'm trying to adapt something or pitch something, I'll realize, oh man, I really should have done that in the book. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> Been there with my own stuff too. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I want to talk about the Wheelman for a second. I sure. think you know where I'm going to go with this. So, if you don't Maybe. want me to go for it, yeah, um, we can always cut it out if you don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> That's like, fine. I know where you're going to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Netflix comes out with this movie called Wheelman, and I watched it, not knowing, not really connecting the dots that it could be yeah. based on the Wheelman. And then, you know, halfway through, I'm like, oh, shit, this is an adaptation. Of course, like your name is not in the credits because right. everything's so similar. I went to IMDb, like no producer writing story credit. It, it feels <laughs> like they ripped you off. Yeah. You know, I, I, I heard about it when it was like announced. I'm like, oh, that's funny. The title, like, of course, jumps out at you. OK, that's its title. And I somehow found through friends a copy of the script, and it is different enough that it's its own thing. I'm not gonna, you know, disparage it, but it's pretty clear this guy read my book. <laughs> There's a lot of like little little things that just pop up. It's like there's no way that it's just coincidence that the title, these characters, these like, you know, it, it's sort of yeah. It was um, a bummer. Um, the truth is, you know, it's so hard to like, litigate these things, and ultimately, yeah. you know, if we're a huge hit. I'd probably try to go after it, I guess, because you have to just, but it wasn't, it kind of came and went. Um, so. Man, that's a bummer. Yeah. Even like the names were, even some of the names were copied and I'm like, I know, I know. Yeah. That's really disappointing. And now to, to hear that you weren't even involved, I thought maybe like you no. had put your name on it at one point and got taken off, but that sucks. No, that'd been great. Actually. It'd been a badge of honor. I mean, like you fired, fired from it, but <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of a surprise. And I think, you know, I mean, in a weird way, I guess I'm flattered that some writer somewhere saw the book and decided to do their own thing with it. You know, cool, but it's sort of shitty to like rip off something, you know, and I don't oh, know. It totally is. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to be more zen and kind <laughs> about it because I don't want to, you know, disparage the writer and it's, it's a sure. hard enough gig, but still, it's like, really, you know, make up your, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I ripped off Donald Westlake and like Max Allen Collins, like a million heist novels before me. But I made it my own, you know, and I kind of yeah. tried to do my own thing with it. That's what you do. You honor those who come before you, you know, and I and I'm, I'm happily admit my debt to those writers, you know, all those great classic, you know, heist novels. But you have to, like, bring some else to me. And I think, you know, from when I read the script, I never saw the movie. But what I read was, you know, they did something different with it. Cool. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a movie I would watch again. So I, I <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't worry about that. Okay. And I agree, you know, we all have our influences and we all wear those influences on our on our sleeves when we sure. get creative. But there's a difference between copying and, you know, paying homage for sure. Yeah, even the title was like, really the title, like, I mean, at least cover your tracks a little bit, man. Call it something else, you know, like <laughs> the Wachovia yeah. job, something else, you know, whatever. <laughs> all right, Dwayne, well, let's let's bring it back up to, uh, to something happy here. We're going to talk about... <laughs> 
our list. We're going to talk yes. about some cool movies that we are passionate about. Um, sometimes people play it safe when I pitch this out to them. And okay. I thought you might throw out bank robbery films. <laughs> I mean, you have a nonfiction book about bank robberies or noir films. But you went with movies where two character names make up the title, which is an awesome topic. Well, Jason, you know, the thing they know about me is that I, I make things hard on myself all the time. I'm like, you know what? I just want to ruin my own day. I thought, what's, what's challenging? You know, I just thought, you know, be, I don't go for the obvious. Never. That's sadly uh, the case. But the inspiration for this topic, honestly, was I'm a big fan of those, like, name and name movies. You know, you'll, you'll hear the favorites. I don't want to give any away. But, I mean, that's kind of my, it's a subgenre that I kind of love. You know, these sort of paired names. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, my, my next novel, which is out next January, almost had a pair name title. But I realized that the genius of a pair name title, if it works, the names have to be distinctive and kind of unusual, right? Otherwise, it sounds like a law firm. Like, <laughs> you know, like Goldman and Goldman. That's not an exciting title. It's like, that's fine. But it's not like, it's not a title for a movie. Um, I think, uh, you know, certain titles like, wow, okay, those are weird names. That's cool. And I realized that my own novel, I tried it with my character names. And they weren't, it wasn't popping. It, was, it didn't feel right, you know. The sure. and 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 of it just didn't hang, so I have a different title for it. But it was intended to be very much a name and name kind of title. A buddy cop kind of thing. As you threw this idea out to me, at first it was, ooh, that's going to be really tough. And then as I started thinking about it and looking at my wall of, of movies, it's like, well, actually, the tougher thing is going to be narrowing this down. Yes. <laughs> and I went with the same kind of way to narrow it down as you did we we were kind of going back and forth on twitter earlier with a couple people and one of your requirements was it just had to be those names like yes no kramer versus kramer had to be right. if it was kramer and kramer sure but kramer versus kramer's <laughs> out uh stuff like me earl and the dying girl would be out exactly or like uh jekyll and hyde together again i'm sorry yeah. together again disqualifies you it has to be jekyll and hyde or you know Things of that ilk. I mean, you're right. There were so many b- movies that I had to give myself constraints. So my rules were, I have a set of rules. I wrote these down. Just names linked by and or an ampersand. ampersand. Uh, no extra words. No ballistic, you know, X versus whatever. <laughs> bullshit. Um, yeah, no verses. That was a big deal. So, you know, those yeah. are the things I, I thought. All right, narrow it down to those things, you know. And for me, the, the it's funny. The one I didn't include, so I can say it, was... The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, which sounds like it qualifies, but I don't know. Are they names or more descriptions? So I was like, I don't know. Well, yeah, I look at my list here and I have abided by all of your rules. Fuck yes. Excellent. So I feel pretty good. And they're all human characters. They're all human characters. I Um, think so too for me as well. Yeah, which is awesome. All right. Well, uh, Dwayne, you ready to get into this list? I am. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening here? I'm going to throw you a curveball, by the way. Is it okay? okay? Can I throw you a curveball? Yeah. Let's go. I got deep into this. So I had so many movies that I thought, okay, I treated this as a film marathon. If I was programming a marathon of all paired named films, um, and I, I live in LA and I go to the New Beverly, which is Quentin Tarantino's theater, and they're famous favorites. for their mystery marathons, either four or six movies, and they'll tell you what's going to happen until it's unspooling. So, but the trick is the trailers give clues to what the film is going to be. So you watch like three or five trailers and like, oh, what could you try to think? Is it an actor? Is it the genre? So 
I did the same thing for your list. Uh, I kind of did like oh, some nice. trailers. And I thought I'd give you some trailers that things that aren't my pick and see if you can guess my 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 thing. I love it. I is love that it. too much? Is that extra? No, that's I love this kind of stuff. Let's throw <laughs> these God help me. I just I, went, I had so much fun with this, so God damn you and God bless you, Jason. So all right, so my first <laughs> my first one. Uh, the trailers I would show before my, my pick would be Hobbs and Shaw, the David Leach film from 2019. Okay. Freebie and the Bean. Richard Rush, 74. Turner and Hooch, uh, Roger Spottiswood from 89. This all leads to my first pick. So based on those things, Hobbs and Shaw, Freebie the Bean, Turner and Hooch, what would you guess is my pick? Gosh, well, you're throwing out all buddy cop comedies, Correct. essentially, here. So based on that, uh I'll say Tango and Cash. Oh, yes. You nailed it. <laughs> yes. Dude, you nailed it. Tango and Cash. When two of L.A.'s top rival cops. You know me, Yeah, I hear you're the second best cop in L.A. That's funny. I hear the same thing about you. Go gunning for trouble. They drive each other crazy. Tango and Cash. Did you sleep with my sister? I was so drunk. I honestly, I don't remember. Okay. Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. R, Tango, and Cash. Rated R. Starts Friday, December 22nd at a theater near you. It's hated, but I love this movie. I truly do. Um, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's the Sloan factor. I love Kurt Russell. Um, I just remember seeing the trailer over and over again. I just thought, this is great. This is going to be a great movie. You know, and I was, when I watched it, I thought, it's an okay movie. But as I watched over the years, it just really grew, it grew in my, my mind. It blossomed for me. So, yeah. Tango and Cash, that's that's one that I have not seen for a really long time. And I feel like I need to go back and watch it. I think the first time I watched it, I was probably in middle school probably. and watched <laughs> yeah. it because I like Sylvester Stallone and, and Kurt Russell. Yeah. I can't see those guys being in a movie that's bad. So I got to check this out again. Yeah, I think it's maligned. I mean, I think it was, I know, I know how it was famous for having troubles. Um, the director was sort of fired, you know, he did the same director as, um, oh, shit, Runaway Train, which is brilliant. So whatever things happened, you know, and it was kind of compromised, I think, but it's still just so much fun. So Tango and Cash is my, now, do we go reverse order five to one or do we order these or is it? Yeah. Matter? Yeah. Five to one. Five All right. To so one. five is yeah. Tango and Cash. Jason, what about you? What did, what did you come up with? All right. So I don't have trailers built for this, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm psychotic, obviously <laughs> you, you topped me on that one, but this is one that if it had, well, Look, I'll, I'll get into it in a second. I'm going to start off with an Academy Award winner here, Thelma and Louise Ooh. from 1991. An overworked housewife. I got it! An underpaid waitress. We're out of here tonight. In the next 24 hours, they'll be wanted. Get your butt back here, Thelma, now. For questioning. Did you believe this whole thing was an accident? Maybe you got a few too many parking tickets. Low officer. No problem. Wanted for kidnapping. I'm real sorry about this. I apologize also. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all lie down on the floor, please. Rob, please! And wanted for highway robbery. What? It's about time they got some attention. You have a good relationship with your wife. I'm about as close as I can be to a nutcase like that. Mom. The story of two women who were least likely to become most wanted. Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis, Thelma and Louise. Being bad never felt so good. I got a knack for this. I believe you did. Sneak preview tomorrow opens Friday, May 24th. Nice. This is 
Gina Davis playing Thelma. She's a housewife who's kind of discarded by her husband, Shooter McGavin, or uh, Christopher McDonald, as uh, some people would know him. And then Susan Sarandon plays Louise. She's Thelma's best friend. She works as a waitress. And they're going up for a fishing trip just to, like, get away from their husbands, get away from life. And then they, they want to pop off early, so they stop by a bar where uh, Thelma is almost raped in the parking lot by a guy she'd been dancing with and drinking with. And Thelma comes to her, or, or uh, Louise rather, comes to her rescue. And at the end of the confrontation, she shoots the guy. Mm-hmm. And instead of reporting it, because who would believe her? Yep. You know, she'd been leading the guy on all night, as, uh, as they're afraid people might say. They go on the lam. And you got great supporting roles from Brad Pitt, Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Stephen Tobolowsky. Now, I started to mention this when I brought it up. This, this could be as high as number two. Yeah. But I hate the ending. I hate the last shot, rather. <laughs> uh, it ends with a freeze frame. If you haven't seen it, listeners, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But it could have ended so much stronger. It's almost like the filmmakers didn't have the balls to continue the story that they were telling. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That great pick, by the way. That's, I mean, that was, I was trying to fit that one in, but I'm like, that's, I might actually, I thought it was almost too obvious, but I, I, I was trying to veer from the obvious, but I think it's, it, it deserves to be on that top five list for sure. Like I said, it could have been higher and I was thinking about keeping it off, but I rewatched it recently and everything that adds up to that ending is so good. Like yeah. the script is really good. The, the music is really great. The acting is really fantastic, and it's really well shot. Mm. But I just couldn't get it higher than number five. Fun piece of trivia here. Originally, Jodie Foster and Michelle Pfeiffer were attached to play the two leads. Oh, wow. And things went on for so long with finding a director that they both moved on, which was good for Jodie Foster because she instead got to play Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs. Of course, brilliant. Which swept the Oscars that year, and yeah. she beat both of these actresses for the Best Actress statue. So, Wow, and it's funny you mentioned Michelle Pfeiffer because she figures into uh, the, the next uh, my next pick in a weird, in a weird way. Uh, all, so right, let's, let's, uh, wow, all right, let's hear your number four. Okay, so again, some three, three trailers, uh, and I'll give you a hint as to the genre or the kind of the vibe of my pick. There's Frankie and Johnny, Gary Marshall's movie from 91, Pacino and Pfeiffer, which I love that movie. Henry and June, Flip Kaufman's Dirty Dirty 1990 NC-17 um, <laughs> biopic, <laughs> I guess, about Henry Miller, you know? Um, yeah. this is I love that movie. Harry and Tonto, Paul Mazursky, 1974. So hmm. what do you think? These are like, you know, you can call it mismatched lovers, kind of? Odd yeah, um, I'm going to go with Harold and Maude on this one. Ooh, not in this one, but okay, good one. I was going for Benny and June, which you did oh, tweet yeah. today, by the way. <laughs> Benny and June. <laughs> What's she going to do? She paints and she reads. Yeah, she paints, she reads. She lights things on fire. I got a fire extinguisher. Just bring her. Come on, play cards. Soft on the rope, slightly used. You take my cousin off my hands. Wait, wait, wait. I lost. Well, it's in the pot. A cousin. Yeah, I hope so. Johnny Depp. Mommy. Mary Stuart Masterson. Aiden Quinn. Benny and June. A romance on the brink of reality. 
you know, the idea of the oddball lovers. I kind of love that subgenre. And I saw Benny and June when it first came out. I was just out of college. And man, this, this movie just, I just loved it. It was just so, so quirky, weird, wonderful, honest, you know. I was thinking, I rewatched it for this podcast recently. It was like, this would never be made today. I, I can't imagine this being made because who would yeah. greenlight this, you know, oddball thing? You know, some Buster Keaton worshiping, you know, oddball, <laughs> you know, and a, 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 a younger woman who has like, you know, serious issues. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderfully weird movie that I, um, you know, really do love. Um, behind all the heist stuff, I do, I have a, I have a soft, tender heart. Jason. <laughs> anyway, behind all the bank yeah. robbery, Benny and June is yeah. I just I, I, that to me is like it holds up after all these years. So I know that um, Johnny Depp stars. Who yes. stars opposite him? Oh, Mary Stuart Masterson. Masterson. Oh, okay. Masterson. Yes, she's Masterson, wonderful. Yeah. Aiden Quinn as the older brother. I mean, it has actually a great a great cast. I mean, really is like this one. One. It's almost an ensemble comedy kind of. But you yeah. know, these two characters are, are front and center. But yeah. And of course, we can't forget the Proclaimers uh, track, 500 Miles. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm going to torture you. But that, that Scottish accent with the whole, you know, that was a, a big hit that summer after I graduated college. So this was a, this film loomed large for me. All right. Benny and June at number four for you. That's a yeah. good one, too. Um, my number four, I first heard about last year because of Quentin Tarantino's podcast. And that is Mikey and Nikki from oh. 1976. Peter Falk is Mikey. I got a terrific suggestion for you, Nick. I suggest you find somebody you can trust. John Cassavetes is Nicky. They're gonna kill me, Nick. They're gonna kill me. Mikey and Nicky. On a night like this, there are no rules. You give me that in 30 seconds, you hear me or I'll kill you. I'm gonna die. You're not going to die. What do you think they're planning? To shoot you in a movie house? Mikey and Nikki. I'm really getting the treatment tonight. Tonight's my night. On a night like this, there is no trust. And I got to tell you, while yes. they really give the film high praise, they also give away the whole film. So <laughs> yeah. I know people are going to want to get Tarantino's views on this. I, I would say if you're interested in watching it, watch it before yes. you listen to their show. I'm going to be real. I'm going to I'm going to do the bare minimum to sell you on it. Please. Yes. This is my second Criterion film on my list. Criterion also just put out Thelma and Louise. Um, it stars Peter Falk as Mikey and John Cassavetes as Nikki in one of their many collaborations. They did a couple. I think it, they started with Husbands yes. in 71. But um, Mikey and Nikki, they're both like in with the mob. They're not hitmen, but they're involved like racketeering, numbers running, that kind of stuff. Low level guys, knock around guys. Yeah, very low level guys. <laughs> um, Nikki calls Mikey up one night because he's in a jam. And he stole some money from the boss, and now there's a hit out on his head, and he needs his, his buddy Mikey to help him make it through the night, get out of town. They're friends, long-term friends, and mm -hmm. both actors really portray this friendship that you you understand their chemistry, you buy them. Cassavetes is like this kind of ladies' man, kind of plays things fast and loose. Mikey's yep. the married, everyman, family guy kind of, <laughs> kind of dude. And as the film goes on, there's a moment where your um, your alliances as a viewer kind of switch. Yeah. And it's yeah. a really great moment. I'm not going to say any more than that. It's a great character study. Could have easily been a play. Yeah. 
Yeah. Elaine May wrote and directed this thing. Now the the Jeez. production of this movie got way out of hand. <laughs> I she, I, yeah, I read a bunch about <laughs> it after I watched it and heard the uh, Tarantino and them talking about it. And she, so Falcon Cassavetes often did this uh, improvisation on set, like they would just go because they had so much chemistry. Like directors would let them do that, but she would let the cameras run to the point where when they would walk off stage, she would let the cameras run just in case they came back. Wow. And because of this, she ended up shooting three times more footage <laughs> on this movie than Gone with the Wind. The budget went from $1.6 million to $4.3 million. Paramount took the movie out of her hands, dumped it in 1976 to no fanfare, like probably a couple theaters. And then yeah. it didn't resurface until 1986 when she brought her director's cut to, I think, the Chicago Film Festival. Okay. But like... That's when it started getting the praise it deserved. It's a really great movie. Uh, I I don't think the direction is great, but mm-hmm. just the the stuff between Mikey and Nikki makes it great enough that I think people should seek it out. I'm so glad you picked this one because it it almost made my list because I do love this movie. And yeah. on top of that, it has a I should have picked this because it has a very personal connection. It's shot it's shot in Philadelphia, my hometown. And oh. the Philly of Mikey and Nikki is like the Philly I remember from my childhood, like. That dirty, grungy, downtown, center city vibe. That is so fucking Philly. I mean, not, not kidding. They, they nailed it. I mean, I, I mean, to me, it was like, I mean, my earliest memories is walking through downtown around, what was it, 19? When did Superman came out? 78? Walking this as one, a kid yeah, to downtown, like the grody downtown. Like, that was my vision of, of downtown Philly. And they kind of captured that vibe in this movie. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, um, I thought this might be on your list just based on. It, on those facts. I had a hard, that's a hard time because it was like I was trying to like, I wasn't sure is it is it the best or my best, you know? So I was going back and forth like you know what's what's the vibe, but Mikey sure. Nikki that, that 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 deserves it. Good pick, man. Number three for you. Okay, more trailers for you. This would be pretty easy, but we'll we'll try. It. We'll play the game. I'm going to show the trailers for Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde, classic. Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, classic. And, of course, Peck and Paws, um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Let's go with, uh, oh, God damn it. The, the name's escaping me now. Uh, the, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? You nailed it once again. Yeah, I mean, I was going for my Western thing here, you know, and, and <laughs> all these actually could have been my top pick. Raindrops keep falling on my head. What do you think? Not so good. Can you take the two on the right? Kid, there's something I think I ought to tell you. I never shot anybody before. One hell of a time to tell me. Raindrops are falling on my head. Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Catherine Ross in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Rated PG. I just think I, I do love William Goldman's, you know, take on it. You know, he wanted to follow the second act of these outlaws. And we've all heard the stories of their, you know, their Western heist, but he wanted to follow them after all that. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. The idea of like when the movie's over, all right, what's the next movie? And not a cash grab sequel, like a true, like what happens in the story next? And I just love, God, the whole thing, I love it. Uh, it's sort of a deconstruction of the Western myths. Uh, no one to make it because, you know, executives said that John Wayne doesn't flee. You know, well, no, but outlaws back in the day, they, they fucking fled. <laughs> they went somewhere yeah. else. They hid. You know, they try to survive. And I just, I loved his take on it and how he, yeah, the whole thing. And the casting's wonderful. 
I even love that you know that the goddamned raindrops are falling on my head song. It just it just works. I know it seems you know anachronous, but it, it works. For those who haven't seen this film, uh, who are the main actors in there? Oh, um, little known guys: um, uh, Robert Redford, uh, Paul Newman, <laughs> a couple of no namers. Yeah, a couple of no namers. Um, no, it's just it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's um, yeah, it follows the career of these two outlaws who just can't catch a break. You know, they they were riding high. They come back. One of their kind of gang members is taking over their gang and they're like, Oh, what next? You know, they're trying to figure out the, the next act, which we all do. It's to me, a very middle age movie. It's like, okay, I've done this and I've been okay. What next? Like, what do you do after you've peaked, you know, or yeah, I guess peaked or, or you've had some, you know, you've done some things. What do you do next? Which is sort of fascinating. You create podcasts. That's what you do after you've peaked. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, Good pick. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad you had it on there because this is on my honorable mentions. And I okay. think if neither one of us had brought this up, then we would have caught hell. So I'm glad you did. I, I do want to ask you this question, actually. I, I, I do wonder, did this movie start the name and name trend? Because it's hard to find these movies before Butch, Cassidy, and Sundance Kid. Like, Yeah, that's know. a good question. It certainly may have. Yeah, I mean, you wonder. Um, I was trying to find examples like pre-19, was it 1969? I mean, there are a few, I'm sure, but like, it's funny, the years right after this movie, early 70s was lousy with, you know, pair name title movies. It was, it's all the place. So I, I think it definitely started the, started the trend for sure, because you start seeing a lot of these in the early 70s. Yeah. Oh, of course, I realized that Bonnie and Clyde was two years before. So maybe Bonnie and Clyde started it, the idea of like, you know, and that was the trend. But yeah, so I, I messed that up. But yeah, maybe it was Bonnie and Clyde. But same kind of thing, uh, Outlaws, you know, yeah. kickstart yeah. that. Uh, well, my number three is uh, a lighthearted one. This is a really, uh, it's a comfort move, comfort food movie for me, a really mm. fun action flick. And this one teeters on our, on our guideline, but I'll let you be the judge of whether or not you would allow it. <laughs> okay, okay. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Ooh, that qualifies. Yeah. John and Jane Smith are like most couples, but they each are hiding something. The other would kill to know. She's not your wife. She's the enemy. You have an unusual problem, Jane. You obviously want me dead. But I'm less concerned for your well-being. So what do we do? Mm. Brad Pitt. Sweetheart. Angelina Jolie. You still alive, baby? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Witty PG-13. June 10th. I thought so, because it, it's the Mr. and it's the Mrs. Absolutely. Great pick. Great pick. This one is Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt as Jane and John Smith, a married couple who are kind of feeling their marriage grow stale. They both look amazing on screen. This is like their their peak of chemistry, too. And each of them have a secret. They are highly trained assassins, but they work for different contract killing outfits. This this honestly seems like something that you would have written. <laughs> um, and then both of these assassins get assigned for the same target and things go wrong. The target gets away. And so both are assigned to identify and kill each other. And yeah. at first they don't know who each other are. So they're they're slowly figuring this out. This is a really, really fun movie. I rewatched it for this program, and uh, I tell you what, it's it's just as fun as when I saw it before. It's got a great blend of action and comedy. Yep. Uh, great car chase featuring a minivan. One of my screenplays <laughs> that I wrote has a chase in a minivan, and I was like, oh, man, these guys got to it first. <laughs> Mine isn't as original as I thought it was. 
spoken as a as a probably your father, aren't you? You probably have uh, you have a minivan, don't you? Okay, so that's <laughs> I, yeah, I don't I, have a minivan okay, yet. Okay. I haven't gotten to that stage, but yes, I am a oh, father. Oh, you will, you will. Yeah. Trust me. I, no one, no one thinks the minivan is in your future, but trust me, it happens to you. <laughs> well, hopefully, I never have to have it in a high speed chase. Uh, try to kill us. And and while they're in this minivan having this chase, they're trying to both kill assassins and work <laughs> out their marital problems, which is a lot of fun. There's a great dinner scene in this movie where they're finally realizing that they're right about one another. Yeah, yeah. And he's taking a bite of food. She thinks it might be poisoned. He drops a wine bottle on first and her reflexes catch the wine bottle. It's just a really great scene that leads to an amazing shootout inside the house. It's a very lighthearted movie if you're looking for something just really fun. And yeah. it's got a great supporting cast. Vince Vaughn. I forgot he was in there. Adam yeah, Brody's that's right, in that's there. Right. Michelle Monaghan, Kerry uh, Washington. And if you like this Wonderful. movie, there's a TV series coming out that was created mm. and will s- created by and will star Donald Glover, which I'm so excited about. Wow, that's clever. Yeah, I, I, also great pick. I should have included that one myself. It's a, it's a great one. Um, so much fun. Um, director was uh, Doug Lyman, right, who did Go Lyman, and yep. all, all kinds of other awesome things. Yeah, this was like one of those high concept movies that came out that everyone was like, so jealous of, but you can't help but love it too. So, you know, it's, I wish I thought of it, but you know, yeah. Have you seen uh, the War of the Roses? You know, the um, Michael Douglas, um, who was it? I have not. Oh, shoot. It was the same kind of thing. It was like a warring couple, not spies, but it was like almost like when a husband and wife get weaponized, you know, decide to <laughs> take each other out. It, it, it reminded me of that, but this is like more refined, fun version of that. War of the Roses was just ugly. Oh, was, I think Kathleen Turner. And Michael Douglas, they played a, a feuding couple, and they take their bitter divorce to the nth degree. Um, okay, I'm gonna put that on my list. I'm writing it down right now. Yeah, it's it's worth checking. If you like Mr. Mrs. Smith, this is a, a little darker, a little more sad, but kind of great too. I like reason. dark and sad. I like dark yeah. and sad. So, cool, great pick. All right, number two. Okay, the trailers are, and this may give you a hint, perhaps, about what's going on. Glenn and Randa. Jim McBride's 1971 post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, You ever hear that one? No. It's a little bizarre, but I I do love it. Also, a a trailer for Minnie and Moskowitz, Cassavetes, from also 71. And finally, Ganja and Hess, Bill Gunn's uh, Black Vampire movie from 73. Oh, geez. Uh, What's the connective tissue here? Post-apocalyptic? Oddballs? Death. <laughs> oh, this has to be Harold and Maude. Yes, dude. All right. <laughs> this is my number two as well, so we no, can talk really? about it together. Yeah, oh, you go man. first and I'll, I'll follow you up. Harold and Maude met at the funeral of a perfect stranger. From then on, things got perfectly stranger and stranger. Paramount Pictures presents Harold and Maude, starring Ruth Gordon and Bud Court. Harold, he loves to hang by his neck in the family drawing room float for hours in the swimming pool, face down, and drive around town in a custom hearse. Maud, she loves to steal motorcycles from policemen, liberate canaries from pet shops, and paint mustaches on church windows. Harold and Maud, he's in love with death. She's in love with life. Opposites attract. Harold and Maud. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. In color rated GP parental guidance may not be suitable for pre-teenagers. 
Carol and Maude, I mean, I mean, to me, it was almost like almost easily number one because it's just like it's just a brilliant movie. Um, it, when it came out, it flopped. No one got it. I think it took. It sort of takes our generation to appreciate, you know. And we actually, I think so many movies, you know, I want to presume presume we're the roughly same generation that we love is baked into Harold and Maude. Like this kid who's like obsessed with death. He's kind of like the proto goth. He's awesome, you know. And then, he is. And, yeah. and you have Ruth Gordon up at his Bud Court, you know, plays this, this kind of this, this young young man who is obsessed. He drives a hearse. He loves death. He wants to kill him. He's just like this dark, dark dude who wants to end life. And Ruth Gordon is like almost, she's pushing 80 and wants to embrace life. And her credo is every day, try something new. You know, it's, it's a wonderful kind of thing that, you know, you kind of can't help but fall in love with her as yourself watching this thing. And these guys, these two are a mismatched pair, which is why the trailers are trying to find mismatched pairs, you know, of like oddballs and death. So well, maybe it wasn't perfect, but yeah, Harold and Maude, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Um, I, I think by now people have embraced it, but I could yeah. be wrong. There's people out there maybe who have not watched it and had the pleasure of this thing. But so how how did it arrive for number two for you? Uh, so same same type of stuff. I think that the I think that Bud Court as Harold is just so fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. there's this subplot where his mother, who's really they're absurdly rich, <laughs> and she <laughs> just wants her son to be you know respectful. Uh, quote unquote normal, and she starts trying to set him up with people via a computer dating service, as she she calls it. And the way that Harold gets out of these dates is so funny. He sabotages them, but not uh, not in a normal way. He sabotages them in very morbid ways. Um, and there's Love one it. example where he he walks. He's outside, and the mother's greeting this young woman. <laughs> And he like waves in the window and he's got his, he's got a little sheet on. And then you think it might be like a, a towel, like he just got out of the pool. But then you notice he's holding a fucking gas can. Yeah. And then the way yeah. it's shot by Al Ashby, like you have the two women having this conversation inside. And then in the background, you see him walk over with the sheet, start dousing himself with gasoline. Yes. And then you don't know it, but he's he's laughed. But then all of a sudden, like, the the shit goes up in flames and <laughs> yes. she starts having a uh in a you know panicking and he yes. walks into the room just smiles like hey i'm harold type of thing and she runs out of the room it's just that kind of absurdist black comedy and it's so funny i swear to god i was gonna mention that scene exactly because to me it's a brilliantly <laughs> constructed scene like because it's all very subtle like you're listening to the conversation between the mother and the prospective date but like the background out the window is like what the hell is going on it's like this <laughs> what crazy is thing happening it's like what is happening you know and i, I mean this is from like 71 was the infamous yeah. was the remember the of uh, the protesters who had set themselves on fire that was happening that time right to protest vietnam so god it was actually timely on point and so dark and wonderful. I mean, I, you know, I see so many characters we love, uh, Rude and Harold, you know, like in Beetlejuice, the daughter and oh, yeah. I mean, it's like all these death obsessed kids who like Adam's family. You know, exactly. It's all, it's, you know, it's all baked into this character that I think, you know, we take for granted now, but this is where it started. And, and yeah. Maude, you know, Ruth Gordon, you know, I gotta say you fall in love with her. I, you know, I really do. It's like, wow, her, her outlook, her, Outlaw spirit is kind of wonderful, you know, her, the way she just handles people, the priest walking up to her. It's just, did you see my car? Like, yeah, I did. Sure. You know, it's like, whatever. You'll appreciate you know? it someday. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, this is a wonderful movie that I know it's, 
a cult favorite now. But I, if you haven't watched this movie, listeners out there, um, please do. It's it's just it's beautiful. Yeah, this was also in the Criterion Collection. Uh, it has since been taken back to Paramount, but Paramount does have a, a great disc of it. Cool. And uh, this is another one of those movies that's a great time capsule for San Francisco. So, oh, that's right, your home. That's right, your turf. Yes. Yeah, my neck of the woods. You get the Chasen Family Mansion, which is like thirty minutes from me. Wow. Uh, there's some stuff shot in Santa Cruz here. And fun fact, there was uh, Colin Higgins wrote this as his yeah. UCLA thesis, and that's right. He had ideas for both a sequel and a prequel. And the prequel was going to be about Maude being taught how to steal cars by Grover Muldoon, Richard Pryor's character in Silver Streak. So he wanted to bring those two universes together. I love that. I, I read that just like two days ago. I'm like, oh, my God, no way. I mean, the, the, yeah. the Silver Streak tie-in would have been genius. He also wanted to do a, a, a later uh, sequel where it was like Harold grown up, right? It was like, or later, yeah. right? Uh, which is would be kind of wonderful, too. Um, but yeah. Um, do you ever take people on a Harold and Maude tour of your of your of the Bay Area? You ever do that? <laughs> I haven't, but I should. <laughs> Next time you come out, I'll, I'll take you on a tour. I love that. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. I'm, I'm obsessed by you know locations, so I think you know this being a, a San Francisco movie is pretty wonderful. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And one one last thing I'll say about this is where I dinged Thelma and Louise for not uh, not having the balls to go all the way right. with their ending. Harold and Maude does have the balls to go where they need to with their ending. It's a great ending to it, to this movie. It truly is. It truly is. And a great marriage of um, soundtrack and ending. Too. Oh, yeah. I just, I just think it's just, you know, you kind of nail it. You know, they nailed it. Yeah. So good stuff. All right. Grand finale time for you. Dwayne Swarzynski. What do you got at number one? Ooh, okay. Now here's, here's your last challenge, my friend. Um, we have three movies, three thrillers. Cohen and Tate. Eric Red's movie from 1989. Remember this one at all? Roy Scheider. No, I haven't, I haven't seen this one. Adam Baldwin played two guys who have to kidnap a kid. It's very dark, very messed up. They're, they're outlaws. They're just not good people. But, man, what a great movie. Um, also a trailer for Mikey and Nikki, which okay. we discussed. <laughs> and finally, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Michael Cimino's uh, movie starring Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges from 74. Hmm. So we're we're thinking like uh, bad people, other side of the law, kind of on, on the edge, like because you like them, kinda, you know, right? But hmm. on the edge, playing the outside. All right, I don't, I don't really have a guess for this one. What do you got on this one? Well, this is my all-time favorite, one of my top five films of any, any genre, any any at all. But this fit the format, so. Is 1972's Robert Culp directed Hickey and Boggs, starring Robert oh. Culp and Bill Cosby. In a seedy rundown office in Los Angeles, a pair of businessmen discuss the opposition. I know these guys better than I know you. Pull a gun, you gotta be ready to kill somebody. Well, what else we got to do? Bill Cosby is Hickey. And Robert Culp is Boggs. Hickey and Boggs, a pair of played-out private eyes who'd have to reach up to touch bottom. They're not cool, slick heroes. They're worn, tough men, and that's what makes them so dangerous. When they come up against professionals, they hold their 44 Magnums in both hands and keep shooting until they get something, anything. Hickey and Boggs. Rated PG. Cosby. Culp. Hickey and Boggs. They'll knock you out of your seat. Now, I know the cause is controversial, and for good reason. He sounds like a monster. But back in 72, um, Philly's own Bill Cosby kind of rocked it 
in this, you know, people were expecting I Spy, and they were so disappointed because it's not, it's not <laughs> I Spy. Um, to me, it's like one of the best underplayed. All right, basically, um, Hickey and Boggs is two very low rent PIs who work off of Hollywood Boulevard, who get wrapped up in this sort of, you know, it's a missing woman case that turns into a missing money case that turns into like, it's just, you know, the plot actually doesn't matter. Um, I watched this thing for the vibe of it, you know, these two downtrodden, and, and Culp and Cosby just underplay the roles so beautifully, you know, it's just wonderful. You kind of, it feels like you're watching a documentary of the two saddest ass private eyes ever. Um, and it's a great time capsule of LA at the time, you know, to me, I was born in 72. So anything like from 72 is like, oh, wow, this is when I entered the world. And this is how messed up the world was back then. <laughs> so it was, it's kind of wonderful. I, I actually have done the Hickey and Boggs tour. I've, I've kind of found locations nice. you know, of all these places. Uh, have you seen Hickey and Boggs? No, and I, I've been meaning to because I love the cover. And yeah. I've just never, I've never sat down to watch it. People expect the cover is like, you know, it's, it's Culp and Cosby, you know, guns blazing. You think it's an action movie. Yeah. Forty-four ah, magnum. Kind out. of. There's parts of action, sort of, and but it's not that. Then it's more the the sun baked, you know, kind of sad vibe of it. It's kind of wonderful. Um, it was one of Walter Hill's uh, earliest scripts. Um, I was once at a Walter Hill retrospective where Mr. Hill was there doing a Q and A, and I raised my hand and say, "Mr. Hill, could you talk about Hickey and Boggs?" And he was like, "Yeah, I wrote it for money." <laughs> <laughs> he was kinder than that, but it was almost like. Why are you obsessed with this movie, kid? You know, it's like, whatever, you know, and I, I, I love that answer. Uh, but leaving the theater, I was approached by a young woman and said, oh, my God, did you ask the question about Hickey and Boggs? And I said, yeah, that was me. She said, well, my dad wrote the soundtrack for that movie. And like, oh, I, wow. I, I'm upset. That's why I came here to talk about Hickey and Boggs. So thank you for asking the question. And yeah, it was, it was a nice moment. I think those who like this movie are obsessed by it. And the rest of the world gives it a shrug. But I'd urge you to check it out because it's, it's a lot of fun. All right, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll let you know what I think after I see it. That's That sounds awesome. All right, so you, what's, what's your number one? Yeah, so my number one, you mentioned in your trailers already. Ooh. This was always going to be my number one when you said it. It's okay. my favorite buddy action film of all time, Freebie and the Bean. Yes, yes, yes. Next Friday on the CBS Late Movie... When the crime is big, they call in the crack team, the super sleuths of the intelligence squad. Intelligence squad. So what? So who else could solve the crime of the century? Exposure? No one but a pair that operates with precision teamwork. Valerie Harper and Alex Rocca co-star with Alan Arkin and James Caan in Freebie and the Bean. Please get out of my office. If you like Lethal Weapon... This is your precursor to Lethal Weapon right here. Oh, God, yeah. Bad Boys, you know, all those things owe a lot to, to Freebie and the Bean. James Kahn, who plays Freebie, <laughs> called it the odd couple in a squad car, and I could not agree more. <laughs> if you've never heard of this movie, it's about two detectives, Freebie and Bean. Uh, mm -hmm. Freebie's played by James Kahn. Bean is played by Alan Arkin, and they've been working to arrest this mob guy for, like, a year and in the, I mean, in the opening scene, they're digging through his trash cans for evidence. That's how much they want to take this guy down. <laughs> and they try to arrest him, but the arrest is rejected by the DA because it's not done by the books and they're going to need to wait until Monday to do it. But yep. then a hitman arrives in town to take this dude out. So they have to 
keep this guy alive who so they can arrest him when the weekend is over which is a great premise for a movie a great 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 concept yeah and the, the relationship between freebie and bean is the reason that this film is so great they genuinely seem like best friends and you know they'd do anything to protect one another but at the same time they're continuously bickering they're yes. playing tricks on each other they're ribbing each other all day long. They're brothers. They're they're acting just like brothers. Yep. And uh, you know, for all the love I have for Harold and Maude being a San Francisco time capsule, this one right here takes us all around the city. You get to see the streets. You get to see the oh, hills. Yeah. It's Super Bowl weekend, so you get to see Candlestick Park at one point in the climax yep. of the movie. And the action's really well done. You get a great car chase that feels right at home with Bullet in the streets of San Francisco. I was going to say Bullet. It's, it's almost like Bullet on crack or Bullet on something. You know, it's just, it's it's messed up, but Bullet level. It's like Bullet with bickering people in the car. <laughs> I mean, you got, uh, you got Bean choking freebie during one of these chases. <laughs> yeah. I love this film. I think everybody should give it a chance. It, it kind of got lost in the 70s even because it came out right around the same time as Busting, the, the Peter Himes film. Yeah. And... I've seen both. I think Busting's a great movie, but I think that yeah. Freebie and the Bean's way more fun. Yeah. If you did Busting, Hickey and Boggs, it sounds like, and Freebie and the Bean, you could have like a great triple feature right there. God, yeah. In fact, it's funny. I was going to say, Hickey and Boggs is almost the anti-Freebie and the Bean because it's not fun-loving. These guys aren't friends. I mean, they're, they're together because they have to be. It's almost like all the, yeah. all the qualities we love about Freebie and the Bean is like the opposite. It's turned on its head. It's like, okay, you know, uh, they're, they're bitter they're you know they can barely stand each other but they're just stuck because they have to make money you know whereas yeah. i i think freebie the being with those two would like just do it for the fun of it you know just fuck around you yeah, know no doubt <laughs> you know? just because it's a fun job so that's a great pick you know I, I love that these picks we kind of somehow cover the bases you know and we didn't have the same picks and it wasn't too obvious yeah i'm i'm so surprised that we only had one crossover here yeah and just to recap for the audience, let's uh, let's run down our lists one last time. I sure. will go first. I had Thelma and Louise at number five. I had Mikey and Nikki at number four. Mr. and Mrs. Smith at number three. Harold and Maude at number two. And Freebie and the Bean in my number one spot. Brilliant list. I had number five, Tango and Cash. Number four, Benny and June. Number three, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Number two, Harold and Maude, because that's classic. And number one, Hickey and Boggs. I kind of, I couldn't help but put my Dark Horse pick in the top slot because I'm just awesome. I'm an evangelist with this movie, so I have to do it. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I did actually did a column about this movie for Bare Bones Magazine. It's kind of a pop culture quarterly. And I interviewed Jason Culp, Robert Culp's son, who appears oh, wow. in the movie as a kid. He's like nine years old playing this kid. It was such a great experience just talking through like how it happened, you know. It was a Walter Hill script that Robert Culp rewrote quite a bit just to make it fit his sensibilities. You know, this was like the thing he wanted to do is his passion project. He's only film he ever directed. I lament that we don't have further Robert Culp movies that we can enjoy. You know, he's a yeah. great actor. Um, sadly missed. I first learned about him on, on Greatest American Hero. He was the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the FBI, uh, you know, Max Guy Maxwell, you know, mentoring William Katz hero. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I always loved him, but I thought, man, this guy, he knows noir. He, he gets it. He gets that, that downbeat, you know, subversion of all these, you know, great mystery tropes. So that's why I jammed into my first slot. <laughs> so. 
Hey, awesome list. You you brought it not only with the list, but also with the trailers. I love that. I'm like, ooh, how do I how do I rip Dwayne off here and just make that a part of the show? Dude, do it. I mean, I, I'm obsessed by New Beverly's like marathons. I mean, it's, it's, the game of it is like fascinating. You know, they'll have like five trailers and you kind of guess, okay, is the actor, is the genre, is the year, like what is it? And by the time the, the movie appears, you're like, oh yeah, those bastards, they nailed it. It was perfect, <laughs> you know, perfect runway for this, you know, this thing. Yeah. But not only did you come up with the trailers, they also fit the rules of, of the right. list, which is so impressive. <laughs> I'll admit, I was proud of myself. I, I, <laughs> I went there. but <laughs> So impressive. Uh, Dwayne, did you have any honorable mentions that just missed your list that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, geez. I mean, honestly, I tried to, my, 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 of course, my cheat was all the trailers were the honorable mentions, but sure. I mean, there's a lot of movies I kind of wanted to fit in, but they wouldn't fit the format. You know, again, like yeah. Jekyll and Hyde together again, an offbeat movie, but I just kind of loved it. Um, again, uh, The Ghost of Mr. Chicken, I just thought uh, there was a nod, but it didn't quite feel right. That's not quite the and 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 movie, you know. Um, how about you? What was your honorable mentions? You have a few runners up. I only had two. Uh, one I rewatched. And uh, it just, I, I didn't feel like it had a place on my list. It's a great movie, Lilo and Stitch, the mm, Disney movie. Mm-hmm. I really do like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other one was, this is one that I was like, wow, I love this when I was a kid. I got to watch it. I couldn't find a place to watch it. And it's it's called Josh and Sam. Have you ever heard of Josh and Sam? I rings a bell. What is this one? It's a bizarre premise about these two kids that... They share time between California and somewhere on the East Coast because okay. their parents are divorced. So they're flying back and forth all the time. And they both feel like their homes are not really their homes. So they have nowhere to go. And at a layover in Dallas, they just like leave. They steal somebody's car and they try to make their way up to Canada and run away. And it's this really weird story that, but, but it's not on disc anywhere. Wow. I couldn't even find it on YouTube to watch, and I didn't know if it held up. So I didn't want to like put it on my list because I wasn't confident enough. Yeah, well, that's that's a great pick. I love that those oddball like I just remind me of a weird oddball. It's, it's not a movie; it's a TV show, so it wouldn't fit anyway. But remember the fabled Heat Vision and Jack that failed TV show that yeah. right mm-hmm. <laughs> that could have been part of this weird again this subgenre of like name and name. I kind of it just sort of does a thing, you know. It's a I'm not sure. I can't put my finger on it. Why that. It's appealing. Wasn't Heat Heat Vision and Jack didn't have Ben Stiller have something to do with it? Yes, that? that was. I think yeah. it was his creation. I'm pretty sure. And it's supposed to be this kind of really oddball TV. St- it probably was ahead of its time. I bet now be a no brainer. But yeah, sure. that again the the and the paired name thing is kind of to me fascinating. And something I'll write a novel that has an actual proper paired name. I think. I hope so. But I <laughs> I try to make it happen. Not doesn't quite work <laughs> so far. Well, great list. Great topic. We gotta we gotta roll out the red carpet for you here, my friend. Uh, in terms of of plugs, so cool. First off, what do you want people to buy, and where do you want people to buy it from? Because I want people to support you. Oh, geez, thank you so much. Uh, it's actually after years of relative silence, I'm back with like three books this year, which is goofy for me. Um, first book is like my first uh, short story collection. It's called Lush and Other Tales of Boozy Mayhem. It's a gathering of all my weird stories, and this is embarrassing, kind of, but I, when I gather my stories, I realize they all have a through line. They all involve alcohol. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I should have called this a cry for help, you know, a collection. But, um, yeah, it was, um, I, I put it out through a place called Cimarron Street Books. They publish a lot of um, the backlist of David J. Scow, my favorite writers. He co-wrote The Crow, the Brandon Lee movie. 
Um, one of my just favorite all-time writers. Um, and they bring back John Ferris. They're, they're a small, you know, a small company, but I love just you know the freedom they gave me to sort of just do what I wanted to do in this collection. So sure. yeah, it's, it's available through Amazon, but also you can buy it through uh, Cimarron Street Books is a website. Um, I don't have a handy easy to remember t- uh, URL for you, but yeah, it's it's, it's I, out I'll there. I'll put the link in the it. show notes. Thank I'll you. In <laughs> um, August, I have a, 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 co- a novel I co-wrote with this kid uh, named James Patterson. He's up and coming. He's trying to make it make it in the business. So <laughs> never heard of him. I thought I'd throw him a bone and co-write a book with it. No, he's legendary James Patterson. Uh, it's our first uh, novel together. Uh, I've done a few short things with him over the years and a few audio uh, podcasts, but. Um, I'm proud of this one. It's called Lion and Lamb. It's out mid-August. And then finally, um, speaking of animals, my next novel, my first, my next solo novel is called California Bear. And that's out from a Holland Books in January. And again, that was supposed to be my buddy cop, you know, novel that kind of went off the rails. And it's not a buddy cop story, but you'll see the bones of it. It starts that way, but then it just goes in a different direction entirely. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. I, I feel like I've been working these things forever, and uh, it all finally came together in the same year. I mean, between Lion, Lamb, and the Bear, I need to do a third animal book, obviously, like maybe Rabid Weasels. I'm not sure. i got to find something else to do with, with animals in it. <laughs> the Bear Trilogy to match your Philadelphia trilogy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Awesome. Well, Dwayne, uh, I appreciate so much you coming on and oh, uh, not only sharing about your writing, but sharing an amazing list. Oh, same, man. I loved your list, and this is so much fun, man. Thank you so much. I feel like we touched on most of the better films that fit our criteria, but I'm sure we missed some. So please make sure to let me and Dwayne know what we missed. You can find me at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, and on the Cinematics Facebook page. I am also now on Threads and Blue Sky. I'm trying to figure those out. Or you can do a good old-fashioned email, Force5Podcast at gmail.com. Links to everything Force 5 and Dwayne Swarzynski are in the show notes. Links to buy his books, links to follow him on social media, all the good stuff. Please support our guest. Well worth it. And if you'd like to support me, it doesn't cost you anything but a moment of your time. Review the show wherever you're listening. Follow me on social media and tell your friends about Force 5. Those few very free, very simple things keep this show going. The Force 5 theme song comes courtesy of Nate Spears and the Top 5 List Bumper was produced by me with music by Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some films where two characters' names make up the title.